Welcome to the Epiphany Movement Podcast. To learn more about the Epiphany Movement, visit us online at epiphanymovement.com. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's talk from Pastor Drake Nelson. Good morning. How are y'all? Well, let me make a couple of announcements. Don't forget that on April the 9th, we're going to have our Easter service. We are going to have breakfast here at 9 o'clock, and we're going to have our service starting at 10 o'clock. That is on Easter morning, April the 9th. Don't forget to do that. Also, in the back, we're going to have some stickers that we want you to pick up, if you so choose, at the end of the service. More about that in a second. And then thirdly, just to remind everybody, we are on a 66-day challenge on April. We're on uh, April. We are on Acts chapter 28 today, and then we're about to be moving into the book of Romans here in the near future. So now is a perfect time to get involved if you're not plugged into that. And I guess uh, just to remind everybody, me, uh, Brother Jeep, his beautiful wife, Megan, he for sure outpunted his coverage. He, pe- he picked on me. He's just as bad as I did. But we are going to go out to eat at the gathering. So if you, we want to invite everybody to come. If you want to come and um, sit down, we're going to have some great uh, chicken, some great uh, fried fish. They have a, a multitude of things at the gathering. So you'll find something that you like if you so choose to come with us after the gathering. But let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans chapter 1 today. Romans chapter 1 today. And I want to ask you a little quick question. And that is, have you ever been uh, ashamed of something? Have you ever been ashamed of anything? I have, and, and, and this is going, I'm going to say this at risk of knowing I may hurt a couple of your feelings, but there's this one day where Lululemon began to be the, the, what you had to have, right? Lululemon just began to become so popular. And me and Kat were kind of looking back and we were thinking, and I have a, a, a beautiful sister, her name is Marley Sue. She just kept, everything she bought was just Lululemon. And finally Kat, she says, I, I just don't get it. Uh, now, this is the part that can be offensive. So if you like love Lululemon, uh, it, it's been great to have you at our church. Hey, this may be your last Sunday here, but we love you. She said, I just don't get it. You know I mean, people are paying $150 for Lululemon, and it's less clothing than sometimes the, the, the really cheap stuff. She said, why do people pay so much money for something like this? Well, I said, babe, I agree with you. I, I, I don't get it either. That's expensive, right? So, uh, anyways, I went to this golf tournament last year, and I was looking in, in, in their, their clubhouse, their selection. I said, man, that's nice, that's nice. I came across this jacket that I really, really liked. I said, man, I got to get me that jacket. I pulled it off the rack, and I went to the locker room, and I tried it on, and it fit so good. I thought, I said, whoa, I'm getting this jacket. I looked at the sticker price. I said, whoa, I'm sweating now. I said, if I had to get this, I'm going to be... I'm going to be borrowing gas on the way home. That's okay. I ran out of gas a lot, so it would be just a normal thing. I started sweating. So my goodness. And um, I said, uh-oh, there's another problem. <clears throat> so $150 later, I walked in the house with a Lululemon jacket on. And I, sa- I said, Lord, how am I going to explain this to Kat? I said, well, maybe she just won't ask about it. Maybe she won't know. So I walked in the house, and she says, Drake, did you buy a Lululemon? I said, how did you know? There's no way you can already know that. She said, oh, I, I, I know, I know. I got your bank card. I know exactly what you spend your money on. 
So today I'm wearing Lululemon and I'm proud of it. It's, it's not, I may never wear this jacket again, but I'm, I'm preaching it today. The question is, have you ever been ashamed of something? Have you ever been ashamed that you did not want anyone else to know? Well, that's what Paul is going to speak on today, about how not to be ashamed of the gospel. And he's going to start off in Romans chapter 1. And here's what he's going to say. He's going to say in verse 1, this letter is from Paul. A slave of Jesus Christ, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. Now, don't forget that this is Paul writing this. Paul, he would go on to pen in a, in a later gospel in our Bible anyways. It actually was penned before he wrote the book of Romans. But he would give his resume. He would say, I'm not trying to boast. I'm not trying to brag. I'm not trying to flex on y'all. But look, I... I I'm a, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I am the Jew. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I've been beaten more times than I can count. I've given my life to Christ. I've seen visions. I've been called up to the third heaven, not once but twice. I've spoken in unknown languages more than anybody has. I got a resume. If anybody had a resume, it was Paul, right? He had a good resume. But how does he start the book of Romans introducing himself so that you'll listen? He says, I am a servant. To Paul, nothing else mattered. His credentials didn't matter. Where he served didn't matter. Who he was didn't matter. What he had given for the gospel didn't matter. All the things that he knew didn't matter. The only thing that matters to Paul is that he was a servant of God. And then he keeps on going, and in the next verse he says, You know what? I'm a servant, but I'm going to preach something. I'll tell you all what I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. This word, good news, you may know it. It's the word evangelion, or euangelion is how I like to pronounce it. It's this, this, this Greek word that translates the great news. The great news. The good news. Have you heard it? But he spins the word around and says, not only is it good news, it's the good news about something. And the good news that it's about, it's about Jesus Christ. The word euangelion to the Romans, it, it was common. They said it very often. Anytime the Romans would make an announcement, there would people be heralds come in the street. And as the heralds would come in the street, they would blow their trumpets. Euangelion, euangelion. Great news, great news. The emperor, he's had a baby. He's made a new edict. He's coming to town. Evangelion, Evangelion. Good news, good news. But Paul is going to distinguish the difference between the good news of the Roman government from the good news of Jesus Christ. And if we've ever been in a time where we must distinguish the good news of a culture or of a society or a government, it is right now that we hear good news, good news. And it's not. It's foolishness. The only evangelion that there is is in this book about Jesus Christ. That's it. So as he continues to go, he goes in verse 8, and he says, I want to tell you all about this good news. And the first thing that he says, he says, I want you to remember, verse 9, I pray day and night for your soul. I pray day and night. Friday morning, we were a part of something that I have never 
in my life witnessed before. Ever. Ever. There was supposed to be a spiritual emphasis day at Benton Academy. It started at 8.15 and it was supposed to last until 9.45 and I can tell you I didn't get home till about 2.40. The gospel was preached and the entire student body just flooded to the altar, to the knees of Jesus. Why? Because it was affecting their life. They responded to the gospel. Listen to this. In an entire student body, we spent about three hours in constant prayer. So much so that the guy singing, Peyton Barnes, he's been here a time or two before, he said, I can't sing. My voice is going, I can't do it. So, so I kind of get up there and, and, and I just kind of begin to say, hey, look, everybody, just close your eyes. If you're in here this morning and you accepted Christ, just raise your hands. Hands shot up all over the room. I did not count the hands because there's no way to count it, but listen to me. It was more than 15 people who went from death to life. The same time, I'm like, okay, and I, I just kind of follow. I don't know how to manage these, these moments. I just kind of try to follow the best I could the Spirit's lead. So, so I said, here's what I want you all to do. If you're in here right now, and you, if you are struggling with suicide to the point that nobody else knows about it, and you have already written a letter of your goodbye to the world. It's already written. It's in the like, like it's in your nightstand. You have been battling with this. No one else knows about it but you. I want you to raise your hand and we want to pray for you. Did not expect. Look, there were so many hands that were raised. I didn't know what to do. I turned back to Mr. Payton leading the music. I said, What do I do, dude? What do I do? He's like, just pray for her. I don't I don't know. I don't know. We are taking steps in the right direction. We are going to talk to those students. I don't know who they all were, but we're going to give them opportunities to share. I want to instead emphasize something else. There was an outpouring of the Spirit Friday. I mean, am I telling the truth, uh, Kendall? Am I telling the truth, Ella, Kay Louise, Ava Grace? I mean... It was like nothing I've ever seen. Leader Laura. I, 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 I'm not joking. It was unbelievable. And this teacher comes up to me, squalling, just like, and I'm like, hey, how are you? And this was kind of around 12 probably. And she says this. She says, Drake, you don't understand how long we have been praying for something like this to happen. Day and night, I thank my God for you. Day and night, I pray. Are you and I, day and night, praying for a work and a move of God in our school districts, in our church, in our community, in our nation? Paul says, I will seek God in prayer, through prayer, continually. Do you know have you heard of the people who go to God and give them their bucket list and call it praying? I have. 
God, I declare this. I demand this. That's, that's foolish. That, that, that's fools and false prophets is what that is. Paul knew something about prayer that sometimes we don't get in modern Christianity. A, it's not, oh, well, I'm sorry. I guess all I can do is pray. It's the, you get to pray. Thank Jesus. You have the opportunity to pray. Number two, he understood this. He understood that prayer isn't us taking our will to God and offering up. Instead, it is God imparting His will to us. It is that we submit through prayer under the will of God. And in that, our desires change so that, yes, our wills do happen because our will is shaping and reforming to the will of God. Do I think that Jesus answers prayers? Absolutely. Do I think our prayers carry with it weight? Yes, because in and through prayer, we seek what God wants to share in our lives. And sometimes it's so sad that we, when we pray, we don't understand this, that you're the answer. God, I, I, I pray, God, that they would give their life to you. I pray for a miracle. God. Witness to them. You witness to them. God, I pray that they would, that they would, God, I I pray for them as I'm driving by that that they would get their life together. Give them some food, God, I pray. Stop and give them something to eat. Go buy somebody something. God, man, I I, I pray I know my son or I know my friend, they're in sin. God, please get them out of the sin. And God all the while saying, you have the answer. You go talk to them. You confront them. You share me with them. That many times in our life, Paul understood that you and I are the answers to the very same things that we are praying about. So if you're not willing to be the answer, then maybe you should second guess your prayers in the first place. We keep on going. After he says day and night, he says in verse 10, one of the things that I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we come together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged in you and yours. You know, one of the, the worst things that happen to ministers as they begin, that happen to People who walk through seminaries, they begin to see people as burdens instead of opportunities. And they get burnt out. One of the most difficult things for you and I are to view people as an opportunity. That we have an opportunity to share the gospel. That we have an opportunity to do life with them instead of a burden I have to. I got to do it. He says, no, I have an amazing opportunity to share the gospel with them because I long to come visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift. What is the spiritual gift? He's just talked about it in the previous chapter or the previous paragraph. He says, the gospel. Verse 13, I want to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned on many times to come and visit you, but I was prevented until now. 
then I want to do a work among you and see spiritual fruit just as I have seen among other Gentiles. For I have a great sense of obligation to the people both in the civilized world and to the rest of the world, to the educated and the uneducated. So I'm eager to come to you and roll and to preach the good news. We should have an obligation to follow Christ. That woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. If I don't share this good news, then something inside my chest is going to burn out because I have such an obligation to preach it. If you can sing, you ought to be in the choir singing to the glory of God. If you can teach, you ought to be teaching Sunday school to the glory of God. If you can work with your hands, you ought to be coming and doing mission work, creating your own mission work to the glory of God. At the very least, you should be in here on Sunday mornings. At the very least. Uh, But I missed like three weeks straight and nobody called me. And I got my feelings hurt so I ain't been back. You ought to be obligated. Obligated. But Drake, I I work and I'm busy. You don't understand. We have this or we have that. I'm tired on Sunday mornings. But but you don't understand. Exactly. But, but, if you have a but, at least you can do is sit down. I'm not joking. Y'all just threw me off. I didn't expect y'all to laugh there. Like, Man, do we have the type of faith to say we are obligated? We're obligated to come. We're obligated to serve. We're obligated to preach the gospel. We're obligated to be in church. And then he continues on and he says this. Hear me. This is so awesome. Verse 15. So I am eager to come to you in Rome to preach the good news. Evangelion, I'm so glad to preach it. Listen to me real carefully, because this is what we tried to preach the other day. Last Sunday, this was the whole message in a nutshell, is that the good news of Christ should be preached by you every day. There should not, like, think about that. I see a lot of you nodding your heads. You don't understand what I'm saying. You should preach You must preach the good news to at least one person every day. Who is that one person? You. You ought to preach the gospel every single day to yourself. Because the gospel is not only the power to salvation. It is not only the power to save you. The gospel is the power to sanctify you. I, let me give you this example. All right, let's suppose that I commissioned somebody to go over to Vicksburg, go find the Mississippi River, and I was going to say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand on the banks of the Mississippi River, and I want you to jump across to the other side. That was the goal, right? 
And we looked all in the church and we got the most athletic person in the church, the most youngest, the most fittest, who ran a 4-5 flat. He was a, a top athlete, most athletic person we have. Kendall, you're going to be, you're gonna, you're, you're, we volunteer you as tribute. All right, so we go down there and we stand on the banks of the Mississippi River. And not only do we look for the most youngest, the most athletic, most qualified, we find the, most, the oldest person in here. Most fi- Who's the oldest person in here? I think I have an idea. I think it may be uh, Miss Betty Agnes. We get Miss Betty Agnes. She kind of stumbles up on her cane. Miss Betty Agnes, I don't mean to like, like ask you. How, how old are you, Miss Betty Agnes? I don't know. 94. Praise the Lord. That is a great example of a woman who is 94 who says, I got a butt. I know where I want to be. I want to be in the house of God. It may be kind of difficult for me to get there. I may have to get some help coming up the stairs, but if I got oxygen in my lungs, I want to be in the house of God. So she says, you know what? I'm going to come up to the side of the Mississippi River and so she does. And I say, Miss Betty Agnes, all you got to do is get, you got to jump across to the other side. And so she tries and she makes it about eight inches and then makes, falls in the river. And then we get Mr. Young, Mr. Mr. Athletic, and he gets his running start about 20 yards back and he runs as fast as he can and he's flying and he gets the perfect leap, the perfect jump, the perfect, and he goes and we're all like, oh, what's going? look, he's going. And he makes it about four, five foot and then straight into the water. Who made it across the river? Nobody. Neither one. So we may think that we are righteous in our coming to God. But my friend, let me tell you, you're just like the person who jumped four foot across a river. And what do you think is bigger? Mississippi River or the wrath of God? You can't do it by yourself. You can't earn it by yourself. It's the good news. It's the gospel. That's what sanctifies you. That's what saves you. It's that you couldn't, but Jesus could. And He did it on your behalf. So he says, if you preach the gospel to yourself every day, you're going to learn something. And here's what you're going to learn. Verse 16, I will be unashamed of the good news about Christ. I'm not going to be ashamed of it. It is the power of the good work saving everyone who believes the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. That's not in order of importance. That's in order that it was preached to the Jews first. This good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the Scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. I had faith yesterday. You got it today. I had faith today. You're going to have it tomorrow. I don't know. I'm going to continue and press forward in the faith that I have in Jesus Christ. It alone is going to compel me. And there is a huge difference between belief and faith because faith is an action. Belief is a thought. 
See, we want Jesus to justify the sinner. Let me rephrase that. We want Jesus to justify our sins and not justify the sinner. When you accept Christ, He justifies all of you. He justifies every single part of your life. And here's what we like to do with that. We like to take the gospel. We like to preach it. But then we like to water it down in our church. Preach all over. All over our nation. All over the world. We like to water it down. We don't want it to be effective. We won't, don't want to hurt anybody. We don't want to preach about hell. We don't want to preach about the wrath of God. But that's what Paul does. Paul moves from faith and righteousness straight in at verse 18 to the wrath of God against a sinful and a wicked people. You and I, apart from the grace of God, are sinful and wicked. We have nothing to offer to God. Nothing. All we have to offer God is sinfulness, is hatred, is rejection. Is That's it. An inoffensive gospel, listen to me, is an ineffective gospel. That's why Paul says, I'm unashamed. Why? Because I know I'm going to offend some people. Ella, do you think we offended people Friday? What do you think? Probably, I don't know. I started off by saying, listen, I know, some, I know I'm going to leave and some of you are going to hate my guts because you literally say you have no right to say that. I understand that. That's fine. But I don't care about your break at 940. I care about you being broken. So you may be mad at me because you missed your break. You may be mad at me because of the things that I've said. But I'm not going to leave here without preaching the gospel. And the gospel is offensive. What we need to come back to is the wrath of God. Hear me. If there's one doctrine that needs to be recovered in the modern theology, it's just that, that there is a wrath way larger than a Mississippi River who's coming from God. When we talk about the wrath of God, does that mean that God hates people? No. It means He's fed up with sin. In our twisted world, if you hear about somebody sinning, let's just say you hear about somebody uh, I'm not even, I don't even want to say it, but let's just say that you hear about somebody sinning in the most unbelievable way. Do you want justice for them? Does that not outrage you? It does. You and I, both. How much more do you think it outrages a, a, a righteousness of God? Failure to teach and to preach the wrath of God is only the work of Satan. Nobody else. Hear me. If I don't preach this, I would not be doing a Christian work. If I don't preach the wrath of God right here in Romans 1, I would be skimming over the gospel. And in essence, it would be demonic. You have to have the entire picture. There is no good news without the bad news. John three sixteen is one of the most well-known verses for anyone, for Christ and His Son. John 3.16. Okay, let's hear. What's John 3.16? For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Okay. Does anybody know John 3, uh, 27? That was kind of embarrassing, wasn't it? Y'all don't, don't hold that against me. 
here's what John 3, 26 man, says. He who does not obey the Son doesn't have life, but the wrath of God will fall on him. The wrath is deserved because there is a, we see it right here, is a forgetfulness of the truth or a depression of the truth. Listen, look at verse 19. It says, They know the truth about God because He has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, we have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made. They can clearly see the invisible qualities, the eternal power, the divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. You can't go look at a sunset without saying there must be a God or a river or a valley. You can't see the rain or a nimbus cloud. You can't see the, the birth of a human life or the sadness of tragedy without saying there must be a God. He's saying even, even nobody who's never heard the gospel still knows that there's a God. I don't think that the question is does man believe in God? The better question is, is does God believe in an atheist? What do I mean when I say that? Have you ever noticed that the most maddest people towards God, the most severe atheists, are always the most angry I'm going to get prayer out of schools. I'm going to change a culture. I'm going to indoctrinate a society. They're always the most angriest when it comes to the God. And here's what they did. They took most of the most prominent atheists that there, that there was. They said, you know what? We're going to do a polygraph test. Have y'all heard about this? We're going to do a polygraph test on y'all, a lie detector test. And then the most prominent atheist, when asked, do you believe in the God? You know, they said no and failed the polygraph test? That's something, ain't it? That men have a will for rejection. Let me ask you a question. What is the number one reality in the universe? The number one reality in the universe is the existence of God. Everything else is built on that. But if the existence of God is denied, everything else falls. We begin to deny there's a male or there's a female. There's right or there's wrong. There's justice or injustice. We just throw it all up in flames. And as a classroom full of students, we have killed our teacher. And as we begin to do away with the body, we begin to ask each other simple questions like, wonder what the school rules should be now. Without the lawgiver, there is no law. If you deny God, you must deny that there is a good or there is an evil. If you say that you're an atheist, why send people to jail? There is no right or wrong without God. And I know I'm preaching to a world right now, but hear me, I want to be preaching to you more. I want to be preaching to you right where you're sitting. Because the more that I've preached, the more that I've become a 
pastor, the more I am convinced that there are people in the church that listen to the gospel day after day after day and have a mind knowledge of it, but are living something totally different from it. They're Christian atheists. You have a belief, but you don't have actions in your life. What if I told you, I'm sorry I was late this morning. I know I was late to Sunday school, Mr. John, but here's the reason. I was on my way over here, and I was walking down Blackjack to get over here, but there was an 18-wheeler Mack truck that I didn't see coming, and it just plowed into me. It got me good. I'm sorry that I'm late, but I'm here now. What would he respond? No, you didn't. There's no way you can have an encounter with something as large as an 18-wheeler Mack truck and it not change you. What's bigger, God or Mack truck? There's no way you can have an encounter with God and it not change who you are. I know it's going to cost me something. So many in the church being idolaters, ignoring God, bowing down to yourself or to what culture says. If you knew God was God, if you knew He was, then you would, you would stop sinning. If you knew God was God, you'd be in the church. If you knew God was God, you'd leave the bad relationships. If you knew He was, then you would leave the bad addictions. If you knew He was God, you would be unashamed. If you knew He was God, you'd give your life to Him. I was going to say, you don't need to say amen. I don't want you to say amen. I want, I like, I, 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 I just let that sink in. But then I don't get too many amens, so I better not, t- I'll take what I can get. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> All right. Maybe you're like, Drake, you know, actually, I'm not like that. I'm just watching everything that's going on. I'm not doing anything, Drake. I'm not, I'm not in the sin. I'm just watching everything that's going on. I'm not participating. I'm just hanging back. If you see evil and refuse to call it evil, it's evil. All that America needs to go to hell is for a few good men to do what? You say, Drake, do you think America's going to hell in a handbasket? It's all going to hell in a handbasket. All of it. All of it's going to be burned down. The only thing that will be left through the fire that God talks about is what you do for His kingdom. There's a wrath that's coming, church. A wrath that will be a consuming fire. You either stand with Jesus or stand against the wrath. And then he goes on in verse 24 and he's going to say the, 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 where, where, the, where everything breaks down, the extremity of sin, the extremity of sin is what begins to break down in our sexual connotations. He said, verse 24, So God abandoned them to whatever their shameful deeds they had in their hearts. 
As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things that God created instead of the Creator Himself who is worthy of all eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to them shameful desires. It says in a little couple of verses later, here's what it says. It said they began to worship God, but then they began to worship men and idols created like men. And then idols of birds and reptiles, and then they began to worship idols of the created things. We, as a culture, in the name of progression, in the name of freedom, in the name of opportunity, in the name of getting prayers out of schools, what we have said is we are progressing. We are advancing. We are becoming more free. But we are so foolish in the fact that we are actually embonding ourselves more and more and more. It said God gave them over. Does it sound like they were progressing to you? They were worshiping God Almighty and then they began to worship man and then they began to worship birds and then they began to worship reptiles and then they began to worship the created things instead of the Creator. Does that sound like progression? No, it's not. It's de-evolution. And we're watching it go by time after time. It's not just in our culture. It's been the case in every culture. And it's time, church, that we take a stand for what is right. The last verse in Romans chapter 1 says, Worse yet, worse yet, they encourage others to do the same things. Do you see it? And that's it. That's worse yet. We're indoctrinating our children that it's okay to live any type of lifestyle that you want to, that you can choose who you want to be, how you want to be. We're indoctrinating a society that says, hey, believe whatever you want to believe. Your truth is your truth. And we're teaching them to others. We're trying to make other people become as foolish, just as foolish as we are in church. It is time to make a stand. Are you unashamed? I am. I won't let up. I won't look back. I won't be still. I'm unashamed. I no longer need preeminence or prosperity. I no longer need provision or promotion or popularity. I'm unashamed. If I'm disregarded, I'll be unashamed. If I'm disrespected, still unashamed. If I'm downcast or downtrodden, I'll never be downgraded. I got a God, and for that God, I'm unashamed. When I'm beat up, I'll get prayed up. When I'm shut up, I won't put up anything else other than the gospel. I'll be lifted by prayer, labored by power, loved by His Spirit, forever unashamed. My pace will be set. My mind will be made up. My feet will be beautiful because my Father's appearance I'm made in the image of. I am unashamed. My goal is now. My future is heaven. My road is narrow. My gaze is lifted. My future is secure. My past conquered. I'm unashamed. The way is difficult. My friends are few. My God reliable. My mission clear. I will be confident in this. The same God who delivered me from the lion and the bear will deliver this new giant into my hands also. I will be unashamed for the gospel 
is at work within me. I won't be bought, compromised, loved, turned away, turned back, nor devoted. I got to be unashamed. And when I fall, and when I fail, then amen and amen. For when I am weak, He is strong. When I am broken, He is enough. His grace sufficient. His reign is righteous. His word is enough. When I'm tempted to be shamed, I'll remember that He is unashamed of me. Will you join me? Will you join me in the cause of the unashamed? Will you be unashamed? Let's pray. God, thank you for everything that you've given us. God, I pray. I pray that you would do a work in us right now, God. Right now. We won't just sit back and do nothing. God, will we be active in sharing the gospel? And we won't distort any type of gospel, but we will preach it with truth and in love. God, we love you. We thank you for all the many blessings that you've given to us. In your name I pray, amen and amen.